how much are you worth? I searched my name on Google one day and I searched, how much is Mike worth? <laughs> and then they brought me so many results. And on top of it, it was, how much is Mike Tyson worth? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I was closed. <laughs> so the top article was how much is Mike Tyson worth? But they said Mike Tyson's is worth 10 million. And another article said Mike Tyson net worth is 10 million dollars, American dollars. Then I asked myself a question, is Mike Tyson worth 10 million? Is it true that if you give Mike Tyson or Mike Tyson parent, 10 million, they give him to you. Can you buy Mike Tyson at 10 million? You see how language can be wrongly used? And sometimes that's how we feel. We feel like when you have 10 million, then you are worth 10 million. Sometimes that's how we feel because that's how the language and the culture, society frames the things. You feel like you are worth your investment, you are worth your bank account, you are worth your job, you are worth your relationships, you are worth all those things is what you are worth. But the truth is, I think that is misleading. To say that Mike Tyson is worth 10 million is wrong. So if Mike Tyson is not worth 10 million, so now how much is it really worth? Let's find out. Does your bank account reflect your worth? How do you calculate your true worth? How do you know how much you 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 you, you worth? How much do you worth? How much is your worth? How do you know your worth? Your value, your true value. Let's turn to the Bible and read a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 to 13. David asked, Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to? For Jonathan's sake, there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I'm your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, there is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, what is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him to Lodiba at the house of Makar. Is this Makar or Makar? Maker, Mashir, depending on which school you went to, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth, I'm your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. 
since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather's souls, fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belongs to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him. And you are to bring in the, in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my lord king, the king command. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servant. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. In this story, many factors contribute to Mephi's view of himself. In Australia, we shorten every name. So Mephibosheth will be Mephi for today. Mephi. Yes, that's great. <laughs> So first, Mephi was disabled. His physical limitations had become his identity, if you look at the story. Secondly, his family was no longer in power. His grandpa was the king, and then he was killed, and David became the king. His father, Jonathan, was killed. The throne was taken from their family. Now David was the king. Mephi did not feel safe or worthy because it was common for new kings to kill anyone who could have any claim to the throne. So it was obvious that Mephi did not want to be around David because that is dangerous. Those days, kings were killing anyone, anyone who could claim the throne. So Mephi was hiding. Thirdly, Mephi could not go to war. He could not work in a field or do anything physically demanding. So he saw himself as what? A dead dog. Okay, considering yourself as a dog or any animal is bad by itself. That's severe low self-esteem. But a dead dog? That's quite too far. You know, he could say, oh, who am I? I'm just a dog. That's fine. We still like dogs. But a dead dog? Nobody keeps a dead dog around. So he couldn't see himself even as worthy to be kept around. He had no value in his own eyes. All his circumstances supported his assessment as being a dead dog. When he thought of himself, he came to a conclusion 
Yeah, I'm a dead dog. Everything around him was telling him that he's like a dead dog. Had no value. He was physically and financially challenged. And his dreams as a royal family member were shattered. He had good reasons to see himself as a dead, 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 dead dog. Good reasons. If you ask him, you asked him, why do you think you are a dead dog or like a dead dog? He would say, I'm crippled. I was supposed to be the king, but now I'm not. You know, all these reasons. So you could agree with him. Yeah, yeah, you have a reason to see yourself that way. So instead of judging Murphy, I want to ask you, how do you see yourself? How do you calculate your net worth? How much have you allowed your circumstances to define you? And that's the question we want to answer today. In David's eyes, Mephibosheth was royalty. He was royalty. For David, Mephi was worthy to sit at the same table as king, deserved to be there. That was David's perspective. But Mephi saw himself as a dead dog. Your self-image affects how you see other people. It affects how you interpret situations and navigate life in general. Low self-esteem. The right self-image breeds the right attitude. The right attitude is vital to the right living. You live wrong because you have a wrong attitude. You have a wrong attitude because you see life wrongly. To live the right life you are called to live, you need to start by seeing things in the right way. Seeing yourself the right way. You know, Satan tried to get to Jesus. He tried to, to jeopardize the whole divine mission of our, for, for our salvation. He said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. I think when we look at this question, we think he wanted just Jesus to prove, like to, you know, just fly like Superman. No, the question was not if Jesus could fly or not. Read the question again. The question was if Jesus believed to be the son of God or not. That was the question. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus was secure. He did not need to throw himself down to prove to anybody that he was the son of God. He did not need to prove it because he knew he was. So the question was flawed in itself. Jesus could not try to prove it. He knew he, who he was. The enemy uses two main tools to damage your self-esteem, your confidence, your security. And I want you to pay attention to this. Please listen to me. The first one is insecurity. Insecurity. Insecurity is letting your limitations define you. We all have limitations. In other words, we can all have areas of insecurity. No one has everything, but everyone has something. No one is good at everything, but everyone is good at something. 
Insecure people are defined by their weaknesses. They make their limitations their primary focus. Let me tell you something. English is not my first language. English is not my second language. English is not my third language. I can keep going if you want. Ah, thank you. <laughs> but God called me to speak to an English audience almost every week. I have to stand here and speak to some people who, can, who don't know any other language. So English is their only way of communication. And God says, go and talk to them. Put yourself in my shoes. God has equipped me with the ability to preach his word, to teach his word, and the power to communicate from him. But at the same time, he did not give me English as my first language. God is complicated. So I need to navigate that tension. What do I focus on? Do I focus on the calling of God on my life? Or I focus on my limitations with the language? So I have a choice to get here and start thinking, English is not my language. I didn't do my primary school, my high school in English. I didn't do all those years in English, so I don't know English. What are they going to say? You know, what are they even thinking? What did I say that? How that was that accent? How did that, this? Did I, did I get it right? No, I go home, start watching all my videos. What did I say there? What did I say there? How could I say it better? How could I say this? I have a choice to do that and ruin my own life and finally call myself a dead dog. Or I stand here and say, God has called me to do this. I will use the language, the English I have, and the Holy Spirit will use it. And that's what he does. When I don't know the word that I should say to communicate the word of God, I leave it to him to translate it to you. So I just say it. And he translated, you leave this place. Yes, that was right. That was right. No, it wasn't right. He backs me up. Our church really doesn't care which word I use or don't use. They, they really don't care. What they care about is to hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit is present. So just imagine if I would make my limitations the main focus. Every Sunday will be drama. Every Sunday will be chaotic. I will apologize every message. I will be finishing. Sorry, guys, you know, today was tough, you know. I, I was trying my best, and we go. You wouldn't like to go to that church. What well, the pastor is insecure. They can't say the right word all the time. They apologize. No. I'm glad you are laughing. <laughs> What are your limitations? Do, do, do you need to be more beautiful? Do you think you need to be... <laughs> do you think you need to be more fit? Do you think you need more education? Do you need more money? All these things can be true. 
Yes, you would need all those things, but they don't need to become your identity. They don't need to become your identity. It's one thing to acknowledge your limitations and another to let them define you. It's arrogance to ignore your limitations. You need to know them. You need to know, yeah, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. I'm not good at that. It's humility. But don't let those things define you. Confident people acknowledge their limitations, but don't let their weaknesses define them. Don't let your limitations define you. And do not let anyone define you by your limitations. Insecure people don't just struggle with insecurity. They get caught into the enemy's most dangerous tool or trap, which is comparison. Galatians 6.4 let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. The mistake we make, we compare ourselves with other people. We do not have the same opportunities. We don't come from the same family. We don't have the same history. We don't have the same anything. And they, oh, they're more successful than me. They're more ahead of me. They're ahead of... Cool down. Think a little bit. You live your life unhappy trying to compare yourself with others. You know what? You'll never be the first if you are running somebody else's race. Yeah, because they are already always ahead of you. This is the danger of trying to run somebody else's race. You always be behind because you're trying to be someone else. You'll never be number one because you're always checking. Oh, they did this. Oh, I would also do that. They did this. I would also do that. Always behind. Can you find your lane and stay in your lane? Just stay in your lane. God uniquely designed you with unique talent, instincts, opportunities, family history, and everything about you is unique. Comparing yourself to someone else is toxic, is waste of time. God designed you to live a unique life, serve a unique purpose, and live a unique legacy. I can never be you and will never, never be me. You will never be me. And I will never be you. So why compare your success to mine? Why compare my success to yours? Comparison is a virus. Comparison paralyzes you. You are always trying to run somebody else's race or in somebody else's lane. Who will run your race? God is watching you who want you to stay on your lane and run your race, but you are trying to run somebody else's race. In life, you need to appreciate who you are. Just learn to be who you are. Learn to understand who you are. Even though you came from the same womb, you are still different. Even if you are twins, you are still different. You are still uniquely designed by God. So run your race. Run your race. And the remedy to insecurity and comparison is appreciation. And that's our third thing I want us to talk about. Look at this. David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Look, David was looking for anyone who 
is coming from that family that he will show appreciation to. Anyone. So this was not about Mephi. This thing had nothing to do with Mephibosheth. It was David himself initiated his plan to look for someone in that family he can show favor to, appreciation to. Then Mephibosheth comes in verse 8. What is your servant that you take interest, an interest in a dead dog like me? Come on, Mephi. This is not about you. <laughs> I don't know if you get the point. He is focusing on his weaknesses and he forgot his worth. You are not there because you are talented or skilled. No. David is not looking for a talented person. He was not looking for who is the most talented, the most fit, the most healthy in this country. No. He was looking for someone from that family. Mephibosheth's worth was not in what he can do. It was through who he belongs to. And look, David told him why he called him. He said to him, I'm looking for someone to show favor for Jonathan's sake. The purpose was clear. The motive was clear. This is why you are here, boy. This is why you are here. And the response was, who am I to make this? Me, dead dog, who am I? Who asked you who you are? Who asked you if you are dead dog or dead alive or, or broken dog? Nobody asked you. How often does God tell you how valuable you are and how loved you are? But you look at yourself and say, God, don't you know that my father left me? God, it seems like you don't know what my father did to me. I'm useless. No one loves me. My ex-wife said I'm ugly. No woman can love me. My ex-boyfriend said I'm good for nothing. I'm really good for nothing. Stop seeing yourself through the lenses of your critics and start seeing yourself through the lenses of God. We even saw the Nephilim. This is Numbers 13.33. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seem like grasshoppers. And we must have seemed the same to them. Since when did it become okay to see yourself through the lenses of your enemies? Since when did it become okay to view yourself through the lenses of your critics? Oh, they said I'm not. They said I can't. Oh, they said I shouldn't. Oh, they said, who are they to say? It will only affect you when you agree with them. Satan's lie will only affect you when you agree with him. Caleb spoke confidently, not because he ignored the enemy's strength, but because he was confident in what God said. God says, you are priesthood. Since when did your ex's voice become more prevailing over God? God says, you are accepted by your colleagues, don't include you in their social event. Mm -hmm, that's fine. 
Since when did their opinion about you become more important than God? Acceptance is not a reflection of a blessing. And rejection is not necessarily a curse. Some people would accept you as long as you are a mediocre. Others would reject you because you stand out. It's God's opinion about you that matters. You are chasing acceptance. Oh, I want to be accepted with by this group. I want to be accepted with this ones too. You can't be accepted everywhere. You can't. It's impossible. Sometimes we think acceptance is a blessing. No, some people accept you because you smoke with them. Some people accept you because you drink with them. Some people accept you because you sleep outside of your marriages together. Some people accept you because you are rubbish together. If your values don't align with the values of the Bible, reject me, I don't care. I don't care. Thank you. Please don't care. Sometimes we get lost. How they see me on, they will see me like I'm weak. Let them see you whatever they want to. As long as your values stick with the values of the Bible, that is what matters. Acceptance is not always, always a sign of a blessing. And that's why you need to know that once Jesus accepts you, you are accepted indeed. Rejection is not necessarily a sign of a curse. They will reject you because you stand out. You are a child of God. It is okay to be rejected by those whose values don't align with yours. It is okay. And you compromise. And you start swearing too. They swear, they swear, they swear. You also throw one. <laughs> you want to belong. Yeah. Because you want to feel to be cool. Yeah, You also throw just, just a little one. <laughs> but you feel how heavy it is in your mouth. Like... <laughs> It doesn't come out clearly because you know you shouldn't do it. May God help us, really. Want to be accepted by everybody. Want to be, you want to be accepted. <laughs> you are loved here at church. You are accepted here. I want you to know that. Because Jesus accepts you. Don't try to be accepted by those who don't share the same values with you. Focus on your strength. What you appreciate, appreciates. What you depreciate, depreciate. The person, the things, the qualities that you appreciate in your life will add value. So look at yourself and start to see what are the things that you can start appreciating. What are the skills you can start appreciating? What are, what are the character traits that you can start appreciating? You have wasted so much time depreciating what God has given to you and appreciating your weaknesses, what he did not give to you. Appreciate your strength. Depreciate your weaknesses. They are there. They will always be there. It's okay. Accept them. 
Thank God for your strength. Appreciate whatever you appreciate, appreciate. The more you focus on your weaknesses, it's appreciating your life. It becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And it becomes your identity. And you begin to identify as that thing, dead dog. Can you imagine someone calling himself a dead dog? Most people put their worth in their relationships, others in their marriage, others in their connections, because I know that person who knows that person who knows that person. Otherwise, in their children. Others put their worth in their jobs. Others put their worth in their investment, their businesses, their positions, their fame or their influence. When those things are taken away or when these things are criticized, they feel worthless. Because all these things can be taken away at any moment in life. Your true net worth is what God says about you. Your net worth is what God is willing to pay to purchase you. That's your true value. Your true net worth is the only thing that can never be taken away from you. How God sees you. That's your true net worth. Relationships come and go. Marriages come and go. Investment come and go. Positions come and go. Your true net worth is that God designed you uniquely to fulfill a unique purpose on earth. You may feel it or not. Matthew did not feel it. But it did not change the fact that he was in that room not because of what he could do. Because of his father. So how you feel about it does not really matter. The truth is you are valuable in God's eyes. Matthew was valuable in David's eyes. <laughs> you are worth everything. Everything. Your true worth is the price Jesus was ready to pay for you. That's your true value. It's, you are worth the life of the child of God, of the son of God. The only son of God came to earth and died. Even if you were the only person alive on earth, he could have still come and die for you. That's your value. That's your value. When God gave his son for you, he determined your price. That's your price. You are not worth 10 million. You are not worth 20,000. You are not worth all the money on earth cannot purchase you. Mephi's value was not based on his talent or investment. He was, it was based on who he belonged to. He was the son of Jonathan. And David was clear. Look, David was clear in the invitation. I want someone I can show favor to for Jonas, Jonathan's sake. That was the invitation. And Matthew was found, he brought in front of him, and David repeated himself, I want to show you favor for your father's sake. No, 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 who am I? I'm like a dead dog. That's what we do to God. God says, I value you. I've paid the price for you. 
You are worth everything. I've given my only son for you. To die, his blood is your price. And you say, no, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to be. May God touch your heart today to receive his love. You are worth everything.